Christ Jesus our Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would draw near to us, that we may draw near to you. And let your word abide with us till it's worked in us your holy will. Enliven, refresh our hearts, renew and increase our strength so that we may grow into your likeness and by our worship be enabled better to serve you in our daily life. This we pray and ask by the Spirit of Jesus Christ who has come to be in our very midst. In in, in the name of Jesus Christ we do pray it. Amen. Our first hymn is number 98, Now Thank We All Our God. Lord, be gracious to us, heal us, for we have sinned against you. Let us confess our sin together. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer us, for we are poor and needy. Preserve us, O God, and deliver us, for we trust in you. Be gracious to us, O Lord, for to you we cry all the day. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to our prayer. Listen to our plea for grace. 
For you are great, and you have done wondrous things in our Lord Jesus Christ, overthrowing the powers of sin, death, and the devil through the death and resurrection of your Son. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, and be gracious to us, forgiving all our sins for Christ's sake. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts by the grace of your Holy Spirit to fear your name, for we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you who have faith in Jesus Christ. I declare to you that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And we rejoice in this good news. We say together, praise be to God. Beloved people of God, the apostolic teaching is be abounding in thanksgiving. The apostles taught the churches many things. They uh, preached and proclaimed the good news of the gospel, and then they wrote letters and and, uh, visited the churches, helping them to work out what it means to live as people who receive and believe the good news of the gospel. And one of those, uh, one of that, part of that teaching was to be abounding in thanksgiving. The people of Israel were frequently reminded of the goodness of God to them. They were disciplined for their sin. They were uh, many times straying away, and God would have to discipline them, bring them back. But in the midst of all of that, and their growing up as the people of God, they were reminded of his goodness to them and all that he had given to them, Um, places to dwell. In fact, uh, just last week, I think it was last week the Jews were celebrating the Feast of Sukkot, which is the Feast of Booths, which is where they remember and sort of relive and participate in the fact that God, um, while they were leaving Egypt, they had temporary houses, but there was shelter, and they set up all these little shelters around to um, where they're to eat and, and live out according to uh, the instructions in Exodus for them. And so they remind and they, they remembered all these things that they had been given by God, the herds, the flocks, and even the multiplication of the gifts the Egyptians gave them when they left Egypt. The goodness, that goodness came from the Lord God who brought them out of Egypt. The Lord our God has continued to show his fatherly care and goodness to us. So it's not just for Israel and its point and its part of redemptive history, but also for us. Christ says that our Father knows how to good, give good gifts. So every day at our meals and throughout the day, let us thank our Heavenly Father for his goodness to us. We sh- should stop and remember that this food hasn't just magically appeared on our tables or is just because of our great efforts, but is something that we um, have been given. It's, it's a gift from God. It's tempting in, the, in our world to dwell on our problems and what we don't have, or what we're afraid we're going to lose. We may become anxious for what we have or do not have. So remember the goodness of God. Remember that goodness that's witnessed to us with Israel, his goodness witnessed by the first disciples of Jesus Christ, and remember the tangible ways and the spiritual ways that he's been good to us as well. And when you remember your Father's goodness to you, and are always thankful for it, you will not miss what you don't have. You will not dwell on what you lack, but you'll dwell on what you've been given and be grateful for it. 
So remember what God has given you. Give thanks to him each day. Don't ever neglect that. And remember that he is good to his people. He is good to us. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ. And let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 713, Great King of Nations, Hear Our Prayers. Great King of Nations, hear our prayers While at your feet we fall And humbly with united cry for mercy call. The guilt is ours, the grace is yours, oh turn us not away, but hear us from your lofty throne, and help us when we pray. Our Father's sins were manifold, and ours no less we owe. Wondrously from age to age, your goodness has been shown. When dangers like a stormy sea beset our country round, We bring our prayers to our Heavenly Father. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, our gracious Savior, since we are not able to pray as we should, we thank you for giving us Jesus Christ to teach us to pray and to intercede for us, and not just at the beginning of our Christian life, but all throughout. We thank you that the Holy Spirit helps us. So now we ask that you would hear our prayers as we make them in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for the universal church that she might be the new Jerusalem, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Give to her true purity that she might be without spot or wrinkle. Give her the grace of hope and the confidence of joy as she awaits the coming of Christ, her bridegroom. Grant that she might bear witness to your kingdom and salvation in this world. O Lord, hear our prayers for the church universal. As you have loved the world, we pray with love and concern for the nations filled with all kinds of cultures and languages and races. 
We pray for the people in different lands. We pray for the Afghanis, Mexicans, and Hondurans, for the Hutu, the Congo, the Somali, and all the people groups in the nations of Africa. We pray for the Karmanju, with whom Charles Jackson and Angela Vascule, Tina DeYoung, James Folkert, Mark Van Essendelf, Chris Verdick, our missionaries laboring there. We pray for these people to hear the gospel, to grow in their faith, and to be um, settled in a Christian community. We pray especially now for Israel and Palestine, for Ukraine and Russia, where there is terrible conflict and attacks on civilians. May our nation encourage good government and order in other lands and give aid where it can. Here are prayers for our missionaries and for these nations. We pray for the various people in China and Taiwan, Myanmar, North Korea. Lord, let us not forget the brutality and oppression that many of these people experience at the hands of their leaders. And we ask that you would remove the cruel leaders and let us not look away or be silent or be content simply with our own uh, situation. At the same time, may the tensions of war decrease And we pray that your church might work hard to proclaim the gospel in these lands and that you would bring peace and justice and righteousness to where there is brutality and injustice. Hear our prayers. For the nations of Europe, we also pray. We ask that you would stop the moral and social decay in England and France and Germany and elsewhere. Give your church more influence in those lands, more conversions to Christ from among the refugees who have moved there, and that the Christians in these nations may follow Christ faithfully. Here are our prayers for the nations of Europe. We pray for our own country, to which you have given great power in this world, at least at this present time. Even in economic trouble, we have great prosperity and so many conveniences and pleasures. But, Lord, keep us from temptation and spiritual laziness. Create in us a fervent spirit willing to sacrifice all that we have for you. Do not, do not let your church crumble apart into a million pieces with deteriorated worship and a gospel syncretized with our culture. Cleanse your church from abusive clergy. And grant to your people a zeal and diligence for the word of Jesus Christ and to live according to your kingdom. Here are prayers for this country and the church in this country. And now we do pray for the members of Providence Orthodox Presbyterian Church. As we are frail, restore us to health and strength. Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so we ask for all the things we need for our lives and for your, being your church. Bring more people and children to this church. We also pray for the sick and shaken and those who are struggling or those who are grieving. We pray for Leah and Caitlin, for Frida, for Eduardo, Fawn, and Jeff, for the Roberts family, for Tammy's family, our friends Becky and Jane, Bob, Angie, Karen, Tom, Phil, and others we name to you in silence. 
Be faithful in your grace and mercy to them. Renew their hearts, restore their bodies, give them good medical care. We pray that if they're at the end of their lives, that you would uphold them in Christ and keep their faith secure in him. For we do depend upon you for all things. Take care of this church, our fathers, so that we may be a testimony that even though we are weak, you are strong. Even though we are reviled, you bless us. While we may hunger and thirst and be poorly dressed and are assailed, we rejoice in your love for us in Christ. Hear now all our prayers as we make them in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. pray and ask the Lord to bless our reading and hearing of the preaching of the word by his Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word was given, revealed, and was proclaimed with the work of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that now that same spirit, your Holy Spirit, is present with us and helps us to hear the word that has been given So we pray that as it is read and preached, we would hear that word and that your Holy Spirit would be at work with it. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Our first reading is from Daniel. Daniel. 
chapter 3, verses 19 through 30. Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon." Our response, Psalter response to this reading is Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. In the company of the upright in the congregation. Studied by all who delight in them. And his righteousness endures forever. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He remembers his covenant forever in giving them the inheritance of the nations. All his precepts are trustworthy to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He has commanded his covenant forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. His praise endures forever. Our epistle lesson is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11.
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Uh, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And our final uh, lesson is the gospel lesson from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation." that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from from many hearts may be revealed." And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. When people pray, I try to listen to what they say. Isn't that a good practice to respect what they're saying and to listen to it and not just tune out? So when people pray, I try to listen to what they say. And our prayers say much about what we believe and what's on our hearts. So there's a certain uh, uh, personalness to it. And even as I write down many of the prayers, uh, almost, well, all the prayers that we use in our worship here, there's still an expression of what's on my heart and how I'm thinking um, about things in relationship to you all and to God and all that, and and, and as part of the 
uh, order of our worship. So our prayers have much to say about what we believe, what's on our hearts. When people pray for the church, my ears perk up. One can learn what others think about the church from their prayers. So not just prayers about any old thing, but about the church. So when people pray about the church, I perk up and I listen. I also am cognizant of when there is a lack of prayers for the church. Uh, when I visit another, uh, some other church and enter into its worship, it's telling, and this sometimes happens, when there is no mention of the church in its prayers, in any of its prayers. There's just no mention of it. Such as it, it could be mentioning things about the leadership of the church or the community and the fellowship of the church, the relationship of the church to other churches or just to the church universal. It tells me the ministry there, when I don't hear those things brought out in prayer, that the ministry there is not thinking about the church as the church. There is much that is said when we never hear prayers about the church. If the prayers are just simply about what we want and ourselves and the needs we have and, and really not thinking a little bit beyond that to the community of the church. That's why I'm listening more to my own prayers. I don't just listen to other people's prayers. I, I'm listening to my own prayers and because prayers are a regular part of our worship here and part of the morning prayers that I do every day, I'm paying attention to those. I want to listen to those. And often I have to say, Lord, teach me to pray because I realize there are holes in what I pray or I just don't think about certain things. In this day of suspicion and separation and arrogance in the churches, it's easy for our prayers to move quickly into some kind of smug satisfaction like, you know, that we've, I've got it all figured out or, or that we're in a good shape as it is or, or, or it could go the opposite way and turn into some kind of accusation against others. But either way, we can become, um, we can move very quickly into that. Inevitably, we're detached from the church when we don't pray for the church. So when we don't pray for the church, we're really revealing the fact that we see ourselves as detached from the rest of the church it's kind of like that well-known prayer of the man in the temple in the Gospels who said, God, I thank thee that I am not like these others. It's refreshingly pleasant to hear a prayer for the church full of thanksgiving and joy and love. It stands out. I'm reminded of this with some of our post-communion prayers, like this one. Those prayers always, um, as I, I bring them into the worship, are always very special to me. But this one, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that upon us you have conferred so great a benefit as to bring us into the communion of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, whom having delivered up to death for us, you have given for our food and nourishment unto eternal life. And the church is embedded in that. You hear the us, the we, the plural. So it's, it's a communion prayer, giving thanks to God for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And the us is the church. And, <coughs> excuse me. It's a prayer of thanksgiving that's given together by us. I lead it, but we're all entering into that prayer, and it's shared in Holy Communion after the communion meal. And then there's Paul's prayer this morning. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always and in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, thankful for your partnership in the gospel. Now Paul's telling them of his thanksgiving, and his he's actually cluing them in to his prayer that is thanking God for them. It's a very, very wonderful prayer. 
It's a prayer of thanksgiving, joy, and love. It's like a cool breeze that blows the hot, humid air away from our faces. It's just a delightful prayer to hear. Paul's prayer is bubbling over with thanksgiving, joy, and love. Paul sees God's grace everywhere in his gospel labors. And this grace he links to the church. Paul recognized what the church did, and he was thankful for it. They were partners with Paul in the work of the gospel, sharing together the struggles and hardships, the achievements and the triumphs of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Paul and the church worshiped God, praising him for his salvation and in ensuring that the word was preached. Together they took hold of the hands of sick women who had bleeding ulcers, distraught jailers who had been overcome with failure, spiritually lost men and women who stumbled out of the temples and the cities without the life of God, and slaves and widows hidden behind the social wall. The church had taken hold of these things with Paul. Paul had taken hold of these things with the church. And the church had taken hold of Paul. They had sent money to Paul, sharing in his physical needs. Just like we share together in the work of the gospel, gathering to worship God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, working together to teach the story of God's salvation and the way of God to all who come to us. We help each other, we give to each other, and we are partners with those not just here in Providence Church, but outside of our church and beyond our church, collecting our food and clothes and money, giving it to other churches and missions that have food pantries and clothes closets, contributing to the missionary work of the church in this presbytery and in Uruguay, Ukraine, Uganda, China, Korea, Haiti, and Quebec. I think I covered them all, and sometimes we have extra missions that show up, temporary missions that show up in other places. That's quite a span there. Um, it's, it's practically almost on every continent. I don't think we're, we're present on Australia, in Australia, but everywhere else. Paul is thankful for such things. But more than that, Paul is thankful because he recognizes God's grace. He says in his letter to the church, It is right for me to feel thus about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Paul recognizes God's grace all over. Grace in the jail cell where he sat. Remember, he wrote this letter while he was sitting in jail. He recognized God's grace there in the jail cell. It was in the market of the city where the vendors sold their wares of meat and vegetables and grain and even little silver goddesses that were sold there. God, uh, Paul recognized God's grace in that marketplace. It was down by the river at a spot where the religious gathered. It was on a hill in Athens when he was able to continue his journey. It was along a Roman highway. It was at a major controversy in the church in Jerusalem. God, Paul recognizes God's grace in all these places. Paul recognized it in theologically muddled churches in Corinth, as well as solid churches like the one in Philippi. It wasn't just in the stellar, shiny churches that he recognized God's grace. He also recognized it in those messed up churches that were still gathered around Jesus Christ. He recognized it on a ship in a violent storm, and he recognized God's grace at the palace of a Roman governor. God's grace is like the monarch butterflies on Point Pelee in September. If you've ever had a chance to go see those, it's well worth it. 
Um, we did that years ago. But at this time of year, you can go to the southernmost tip of Canada, which is Point Pelee, over here in Ontario, and it juts out into Lake Erie, and there they are, at the right time in September, all these butterflies. And not just a few floating around in the air, but thousands of them. And they're all sitting. They're all waiting because they've been making a journey, and they've come down to the southernmost tip, and they want to rest up, and they're on everything in this, in, at this point. Um, waiting to get the strength to fly over Lake Erie and continue on their journey. I believe they go all the way down to Mexico. But at this point, it's fascinating to see them on everything. They're on the bushes and the trees. They're on the cars. They're on the ground. They're on the buildings. Everyone's walking around trying not to step on them because that would be really terrible. And if you stand still, they'll even land on you. This orange and black tint, these monarch butterflies, can be seen wherever you look, the pulsing with wings that are moving up and down. God's grace is like that. It's all over, wherever you look, in your life and in the church. It's on the complexities of arranging our schedules. It's on our disabilities and broken lives. It's on the food we eat at the table, on the people with whom we chat. It's on the havoc left over from the torrential storms that race through Michigan. It's on our homes and on our marriages. It's on our church. It's on our spreading of the gospel. It's on it all, pulsing with the mercy and love of God shown to us through Jesus Christ. And it's not that the grace of God is naturally a part. We need to make a distinction here. It's not that the grace of God is just naturally a part of everything. So it's just sort of built into everything like some kind of life force in our lives. Or, or it's not that we can just translate everything that happens that we think is good into the grace of God. It's not like that. It's something that comes down and upon. God's grace is not the same as random acts of kindness or serendipities that we find. We must not redefine God's grace as human grace, you see or our own capabilities, or some happen chance that can take place in our world by just the sheer number of possibilities. That's not what this is. God's grace comes to us in Jesus Christ. It comes from heaven to earth. So the scripture says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's a gift. It's something given and put, put upon. God the Father sent his only begotten Son into the world to save the world from its sin, to redeem us and create new life. The grace of God took hold of Paul and the church in Philippi and has taken hold of you. The grace of God comes from outside us to be in, on, over, and under us and in our Christian service. And in Christ, we are immersed in God's grace. And Paul recognized this, that there was more to his partnership with the church than the money that he held in his hand that came to him, that probably went to buy food or, or other material needs he needed while he was in jail. He realized it was more than that and more than just some beliefs that they shared together. That more was that the grace of God, that was the grace of God at work in them. It wasn't just money that he received or, or uh, the beliefs they had, but that the grace of God was, it, was upon them and working with them. So when you look at your life, in Providence Church, do you see the grace of God dripping all over it? I know I don't as much as I should. Maybe that's another thing we should be praying for. It's all over it, but maybe we don't see it. Maybe we only see the problems, the disappointments, and the frustrations. 
Paul was utterly confident about God's grace. That's because of what God had already done in the past. So his confidence is built on the fact that God had a track record. God began his good work of grace long before there was a church in Philippi, and long before Providence Presbyterian Church existed, and long before we were baptized and we believed in Jesus Christ. So the scriptures trace it back for us. And the grace of God is at work, if you go read through the scriptures, it was at work all the way back in the generation of Adam and Eve with the promise of the heel that would bruise the head of the tempter. There's grace in that, in that story. With Noah and the Ark of Salvation, it's there with the descendants of Abraham. God's grace was present with Israel, redeemed from slavery, and it came to its fullness, that grace in Jesus Christ. This, uh, John, the Gospel of John says, the word who became flesh and dwelt, dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, that's Jesus Christ. It's fully in Christ, but it was there, present, at work all along. We can see, for example, this our Old Testament lesson. We can see God's grace with Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace. It's a great story. Not long ago, I preached through Daniel, and so you've heard this story recently. But King Nebuchadnezzar had these three thrown into the incinerator oven because they would not worship his gods. And when he peered into the incinerator to look at them, to make sure they were burning up, there was a fourth man in there, and it was the angel of the Lord. The Lord who never slumbers nor sleeps, the Lord who is your keeper in the shade on your right hand, he saw the Lord, angel, in that oven. And Daniel's friends saw the grace of God in the oven. That's what it was. It's the angel of the Lord, the grace of God that was there with them. God's grace had been present from the beginning of creation, pulsing with his redeeming power And he was there, it was there, even in a hot oven that was intended to kill these three. God has started his good work and he has faithfully brought it along, never deviating from his gracious purpose. And that's what we find as we look through the scriptures. There's grace written all over the scriptures, coming to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And it's rolled over the hills of history, this grace of God, catching up the Philippian church and flowing on, catching up us as well. The same grace and good work of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God has already started his good work of grace, and he brings it to completion in Jesus Christ. And that's the basis of our confidence in the grace of God. It was the basis of Paul's confidence, and it's the basis for our confidence. So Paul perceives it. He perceives the grace of God in everything. And how do we perceive it? I mean, how could we perceive it? God's grace can't be seen with plain optics. If that was the case, if it was like everyone in this room can look forward, look up and see the piano, a black baby grand piano, we can all see that. We don't have any questions or dispute about it. Anybody walking into this building could see it. If it was that easy, if everyone could just see it with the plain optics of our eyes, then everybody would see it. There would be no question about it. The eyes in our heads that are trained to study the earthly nature of things will not recognize it. Our perceptions covered with sin will not see it. (coughs) However, eyes trained by faith in Jesus Christ will see it. Perception trained by the word of God will see the grace of God all over life. What some see as the message of an old book, the Bible, Christian faith sees as the word of God's grace. 
Where some see a meager meal at this table, the eyes of faith see the grace of God. When some look at the church, they see a human organization. Those with eyes enlightened by the light of God see the body of Christ. And while some see a gift of money as a mere act of human kindness, Christian faith sees the work of God's grace. That's exactly what Paul saw with that gift of money that was given to him from the Philippian church. Jesus Christ opened your eyes to see the work of God. Look for it all over, all over. In your Christian life, look for the grace of God. As I look back over my work as a pastor, I see it. I see God's grace at work in the church in Leota, Kansas, where I was a pastor before I came here. And that was a long time ago, so I have to work really hard to remember back. But Heidi and I went back to visit the people there in Leota a few years after we came to Providence Church. That would be like 24, 25 years ago. And during our visit there, we just went over to see some old friends, and, and um, it was just we were passing through. And during our visit, a man and his wife stopped by to see us. And they were members of the church um, when I served there. I remembered him because he had bristled under my preaching and would confront me after the worship service disagreeing with what I had preached. In that church, after the benediction, I walked to the back, stood by the back door, and greeted everyone as they left. And he would stand right there and just rip into me about what I had preached. Um, And it was clear that he did not like Reformed theology. And that I was preaching that. It It was definitely built into my sermons because I was preaching through Ephesians. So he heard that, and he was bristling at it. My relationship with him was tense, to say the least. It was not long after that that I accepted a call to this church, to Providence OPC. And at that point, I was far away from this man. I really didn't expect to see him again. And then he showed up during my visit. We had a friendly conversation. We talked about his farming. He was a big farmer and the church there. And then he asked me, asked my forgiveness for his confrontations with me. What is more, he told me that he'd come around to reform teaching and was a strong promoter of it. Here, underneath the restoration of our relationship, underneath our agreement on reformed theology was the grace of God. The grace of God that heals the sins and divisions in the church. The grace of God working, energizing, and turning us to him. The grace of God is also dripping on the relationships and labors of this church. So look for it in our care for one another. Look for it in our conversations. Look for it in the preaching and teaching of God's word. Look for it when we come to the communion table. Look for it in our outreach to the community. Look for it in our relationships with the churches of our presbytery and with other churches. Look for it with the eyes of faith in Jesus Christ because that's the only way you'll see it. I'm thankful to God for the partnership that we have together here at Providence OPC. For example, there's a collaboration in pastoral care. Now, traditionally, pastoral care is one of the responsibilities of the pastor, or spiritual care, it's sometimes called. I had a professor in seminary, John Leith, who taught us that the work of the pastor is to preach and lead worship, to teach, and to give pastoral care. That's always been very clarifying for me. Because there are a million other things that you can begin to take on and think that it's your duty to do. And there are a million more things that people want to put on you. And pretty soon you're just overwhelmed and and scattered a thousand different ways. Pastors sometimes get off track and become busy with many other activities. 
So I've tried to model my ministry on the duties of preaching, teaching, and pastoral care. And when it comes to pastoral care, I always feel like I'm playing catch-up. But I've come to see that something graceful is happening here at Providence OPC. You all are not waiting for the pastor to catch up. You are not expecting the pastor to do all the spiritual care in the church. You have joined in with the care. I hear about one of you going out to visit another person to encourage him, pray for him, or help him with some work at his house. I, <coughs> I hear about visits to the hospital for those who are sick or cards being mailed to let someone know you were thinking of her and praying for her. There's a partnership here at Providence Church in God's grace. Also, there is a cooperation between you and me in the ministry of the church. You have supported the ministry with your financial offerings. Your gifts enable the minister to be at this church. That's probably obvious. If there isn't the financial support, then you can't fund a pastor to be or a minister to be at the church. So your gifts enable that. But it's not just paying for the salary of the pastor. It's establishing the ministry here at Providence. Because of God's grace in your offerings, there is the ministerial office that provides for preaching, teaching, and pastoral care in the church. And it goes quite a ways outward. I have all kinds of conversations and and meet with people who are not even members of this church. So what you're doing, supporting the ministry of this church, has its effect and its fruits, not just for you, but for others who may not ever become a part of this church. So you are cooperating with the ministry of the church by participating in it and encouraging it. You receive the preaching and teaching. That's another way of cooperating with the ministry of the church. You receive the preaching and teaching. There's a funny story in um, The Light of August by William Faulkner, and it's a big, fat novel, but uh, there's a story in there about a Presbyterian pastor in this little town in Mississippi. And he got, uh, his preaching kind of got off onto a particular theme, and uh, it's really rather humorous. But So he would preach, and the people got tired of it, and, and they wanted the pastor to preach on something else or move on and get off that. And um, he wouldn't. And so they started protesting, <laughs> and the service would begin, and when he rose up to preach, they all walked out. And he would preach to, to empty congregation, empty building. And then when he was done, they'd all come back in. That's not receiving, not that there was much to receive there, but that's, that's a bad, that's not cooperating together. Um, but sometimes uh, in churches that'll happen. There are those who fight against the ministry of the word, those who do not want to receive it. But you receive the preaching and teaching here with gratitude and faith. And over the years, when you express that gratitude to me or how your faith is being built up, it has encouraged me to continue on. You have responded positively to the ministry of the word, which is a cooperation with it, you see. So don't take our partnership at Providence OPC for granted. God's grace is all over it. We are thankful when we see the grace of God. When we see it with faith in Jesus Christ, it creates thankfulness in us. When we don't see the grace of God, we become cantankerous, complaints fill our mouths, and dissatisfaction settles in our hearts. If we don't see the grace of God, it's not because it's not here. Not in a church that is following Jesus Christ that has faith in him. It is, it is present. God's grace is all over our Christian lives, and it's all over our church. The word of God tells us to look again. If 
we don't see it, look again. Look again with the eyes of faith. And then we may pray Paul's prayer in our lesson this morning for each other, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all insight, so that you may approve what is excellent and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And all because of the grace of God that has been so richly poured out upon us in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O Lord, we ask you mercifully to hear us now, having heard your word, grant that we may both perceive and know what things you have done for us, your grace that is at work and present, and that we may faithfully give thanks and proclaim the same, that you are not a God who is uninvolved and absent from us, but is very much present. And this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand. Let us confess our faith. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 519, Fountain of Never-Ceasing Grace.
Gospel of John tells the story of Jesus feeding the people. Jesus said, make the people sit down. He told his disciples, have the people sit down. So they sat down, about 5,000 in number. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them, distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And from this scripture, we are taught that Jesus is the gracious host who feeds the people. He himself distributes the food to them. And so it is at this meal here. According to the Lord's institution, this bread and cup is set apart from a common use to this holy use. Our Lord, on the night of his arrest, took the bread, he blessed God, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and he did the same with the cup. We offer our thanksgiving to the Lord and receive his nourishment for our new life with confidence in the promise of Christ who said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for his salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. You are worthy of our thanks and praise, our thanksgiving, O God. And so in this prayer... We center our thanksgiving on you. You are the God of truth. By the breath of your mouth, you have spoken your word. All things have come into being. You fashioned us in your image. You placed us in the holy garden with our, through our forefather and mother, Adam and Eve. Though we chose the path of rebellion, you would not abandon your own. And again and again, you drew your people into your covenant and grace. You gave your people the law and taught us by your prophets to look for your reign of justice and mercy and peace. And as we watch for the signs of your kingdom on earth, we sing that song, we, we remember that song and, and repeat that song of the host of heaven who are forevermore praising you, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Lord God, you are the most holy one who are enthroned in splendor and light. And yet in the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, you reveal the power of your love made perfect in our human weakness because he embraced our humanity. He who is God became man. Jesus showed us the way of salvation. He accomplished our salvation. He gave himself to die for us. He set us free from the bond of sin that we might rise and reign with him in glory. And so as we give thanks, we do repeat that faith that the church has always repeated in those three short phrases. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ has died. And we proclaim the death that he suffered on the cross. We celebrate his resurrection, his bursting from the tomb. We rejoice that he reigns at your right hand on high and we long for his coming in glory. As we recall the one perfect sacrifice of our redemption, Father, by your Holy Spirit, may the eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a participation in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Form us into the likeness of Christ. Make us a perfect offering in your sight. And look with favor upon your people. In your mercy, hear the cry of our hearts. Bless the earth, heal the sick, let the oppressed go free. Fill your church with power from on high. Gather your people from the ends of the earth to feast with all your holy people at the table in your kingdom. 
where the new creation is brought to perfect perfection in Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom and in whom in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory be yours, almighty God, forever and ever. And together we say, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, give it for you, do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Eternal God, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You have fed us with the spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now out into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. With our eyes open to your grace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Final hymn is number 345, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken.
grace be with you all, and the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Good morning. I draw your attention to the uh, Life Together um, insert that you have. Um, first of all, I just wanted to uh, mention, as I'm sure you all are, to keep the Roberts family in your prayers um, with the passing of uh, Michael's mother, Margaret, yesterday. I'm sure there'll be more information on that um, coming soon. Uh, we begin our new class today um, on narrative apologetics that uh, Pastor will be teaching us for CE. Um, Thursday Bible study is uh, this week on the development of the Christian canon, and I will say it's been very enlightening to us, so I encourage you to come. Um, as of right now, the women's prayer meeting is still uh, scheduled for the 12th. Um, that could change, but as of right now, it's still scheduled for that at the Roberts House. And Friday evening prayer is coming up on the 20th at the church at 6.30. And there's still the, um, the conference coming up, uh, the Carl Truman Conference, the Magnify uh, uh, Conference on the 13th and 14th. I believe I was told the Roberts have extra, two extra tickets for it, um, so you could contact them if you're interested in going. Mm, anything else? Heidi Wilson. I wanted to do that. <laughs> It is indeed. And so we do have a cake with, a, with an acknowledgement and, and a blessing for you and the adventure that you all are going to be on. It's going to be quite an adventure. I've got a military family in our own, in our own lives, and I know it's an adventure. But anyway, please, please, please take advantage of the cake in the, um, in the kitchen. And um, just uh, don't anybody, i got to talk to Sean. Don't leave me, Sean, okay? <laughs> Okay, we have cake in the back for uh, Paige and Jonathan as our last week here, um, so avail yourself of that. Anything else? Julie? Um, could you just tell us, like, just like a short version of the adventure you're going on? Well, uh, this week we're moving down to Utah with a dog and a cat. We're driving on the way over. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. So it's a bit of an adventure. Overall, it's about a 25-hour drive, but we split it into three. Eight-hour days. Okay. Wow. I have a feeling we'll have enough cake for you to eat on. <laughs> Keep you fueled. So when is the actual marriage? The 20th. Okay, of this month. The 20th of when? This month. 20th of October. Woo-hoo. And then... Is that Friday night prayer? Yeah. <laughs> 
indefinite period of time, but Eventually, the plan is to go back to okay. Washington. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, and, and that is, where did you say Pullman? Pullman. So that's close to where the Bratchers live, former members, and, and just up the way, a ways from um, the uh, Mortiers and uh, Jennings. You know, they're in Boise, but <laughs> still. So, so there's something attractive about that part of the country. <laughs> Very nice place to grow up, I heard about Yeah, that's where you grow up? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go have cake. <laughs>